for any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Do not looking into your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Good evening. Um, sure, as some of you know, if you don't know, I'll fill you in anyway. My name's David. Um, I used to go to CE, oh, many, many moons ago now. That's so weird coming back and seeing kids who I like remember being born. So um, it is great to be here and seeing all your young faces. Um, I say that as a as an old fart at 22. Um, I work in Red Hill Presbyterian Church, so you might know me from there. If you don't, you probably know me from whenever I was eating dairy or in CE as well. Before we kind of kick off, um, I'm going to say, first of all, if you have a Bible, or even a Bible on your phone, keep it open, um, we'll be jumping back to the passage and just kind of seeing what God sent us, and that would be really great if you could read along with me in that. But before we kind of kick off to see what God has sent us from his word, um, I'm just going to pray for us quickly. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we have your word, and we thank you that your word is alive and active, and it still speaks to us today. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would, from from your word, the Bible, that you would speak into our hearts, you would convict us of sin, you would show us the areas that we put our glory first instead of giving glory to the Father, Lord. Pray that you would also point us to the grace that is found in Jesus Christ in this, and that everything that is said would, wouldn't be my words, but they would be your words, Lord. Amen. So, last week... Scott took us through Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 to 30. And the sort of overarching idea of this passage was to live is Christ and then to die is gain. Okay, so to live and live well for Jesus, to give glory to God the Father, to share the gospel and see how the Holy Spirit works in the lives of people by transforming messy, broken sinners to people who reflect the image of God. That's good. But to die... To one day leave this earth, leave it behind and, and go to be with Christ, go to be with God in heaven. That is better. Better than we can ever imagine. And it's with this in mind where we start tonight. Paul, remember, still locked in prison with his hands, locked in cold and rattling chains, imprisoned for potential, or imprisoned and potentially facing death because he was living for Christ. He appeals to the Philippian church and he appeals to us today as well. So with that sort of idea of chapter 1 in mind, he lays out these two examples of humility that we're going to be thinking about tonight. So firstly, Paul's going to show us the purpose of our humility. And secondly, he's going to show us the weight of Christ's humility. Okay, so the first one, the purpose of our humility. And then the second one, the weight of Christ's humility. So number one, the purpose of our humility. Okay, this is our humility. Look with me to verses 1 and 2. 
Paul writes, therefore, now that you know to live is Christ and to die is gain, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being one of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul's saying, since you now have encouragement in Jesus Christ, in what he accomplished in his life and death, and resurrection. Since you now have comfort in the all-encompassing love of Jesus, the love that he has for his brothers and sisters, that's Paul. Since through the same Holy Spirit you have assurance of your salvation, since any sort of affection and sympathy exists between you, come together in unity to give glory to your Father in heaven. And then in light of all this, Paul says to the reader, complete my joy by coming together in ultimate unity, with one goal in mind, with one single motive, guided by the same eternal life-giving love of Jesus. What this isn't, it's not a, it's not a cry for Paul just asking us to do something that'll make him happy. It isn't like the times whenever your mum stops ye- or starts yelling at you to stop playing the untitled goose game or watching Netflix and just do your housework, and then she'll try and befriend you into actually doing what she wants you to do. Not at all. Paul is saying that seeing, glo- that seeing God glorified in the life of the Philippian church will give him joy. To resurrect the phrase of a certain summer program many moons ago, living a life of giving God glory is our ultimate good. And Paul really gets that. And he's filled with delight, he's filled with encouragement to see others united through the same spirit and their love of the same Jesus for whom Paul is in chains, get that as well. And that's something for us to think about. Glorifying God is for our ultimate good, but it's also for the good of the wider church family. For most of you, as I said, young whippersnappers at the old fart of 22 years old that I am, it fills the people of your church with a real joy when they see you on a Sunday morning. It's such an encouragement to the lives and the hearts of all the people here at CE, your leaders tonight. People in your church who have lived faithful and sacrificial lives in the name of Jesus. Who get that to live is Christ and to die is gain. They're encouraged to see you living the same life. When they see you worshipping on a Sunday morning, listening to whenever the Bible is being taught, helping other people learn the Bible and understand the Bible, asking questions, playing music in church, going on mission trips, even just talking to them about life as a Christian. It completes their joy because they get to see God glorified in your life. When you're older, you'll have these stories of your own, of the works of God in your life. You'll bear your own battle scars from the times that you wrestled with sin and suffering. You'll have your own sort of laughter lines stuck to your face whenever you smile and think of the goodness of God And how blessed he's been in your life. You'll feel the same compassion as a comfort to somebody who's lost a loved one. You'll share in the joy whenever you see a newborn baby come through the doors of your church for the first time. When you're older, you'll see people start along the same journey of following Jesus that you've been on for many years already. This is something that I'm not really sure a lot of us actually appreciate. But it's true It's what God says in his word here. When you're older, 
your joy in seeing other people's lives transformed by the Spirit, seeing others come to know that to live is Christ and to die is gain, your joy will be completed. And so on and so on down the generations. The joy of knowing Christ and his gospel, it's corporate, it's shared among God's people. It's for all of God's people. It's to benefit the body and it's to benefit the church. The encouragement that you offer, not your own sort of works of being good living and doing the right thing, but instead, through others seeing the Spirit of God work in your life, this doesn't exist outside of the church. That type of encouragement, it doesn't exist if pride takes center stage in our hearts. Verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What is it that's the foundation to verses 1 and 2 of this chapter? It's humility. Paul has laid out what it means for us to live together in the church, united in Christ. And now he almost wants us to see what's at the very root of all of that. He wants to add some examples and and lead us to the realization of our need for humility. And here he gives kind of two pictures of what we should do, or sorry, what we shouldn't do, that sort of condition. And then he gives a what we should do to balance it out. So on one hand, there's the what we shouldn't do, and then on the other, there's the what we should do. The first what you shouldn't do is pursue your own agenda and scheme your own sort of way and make your own sort of plans just so you can come out on top in anything, regardless of whatever sort of holy, cliched Christian language that we can dress it up with. Don't twist things to have them your way. And what we should do, counterbalance to that, be humble. Lower yourself. Don't think less of yourself. Think of yourself less. Count others as more significant than yourself. Put their needs first above your own. Keep unity by humility. Look to the Bible. Ask how does Christ show this in action. Pray that God by his Holy Spirit will work in our hearts and we will live the same life. And the second sort of what we shouldn't do picture is just don't think about what you want. Not in a scheming way, just being plain selfish. And then what's the what you should do point to this? Look to what others want. The clear sort of picture that I can think of what this might look like is back oh many a year ago, my dad and my sister used to have these movie nights, probably whenever Elise was about five or six years old. And at the time, this 40-ish year old man would spend his Friday nights eating pink sweets and pink smarties and watching something daft like the Princess Diaries. And this would be the only movie that they would ever watch for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks on end. He never tricked Elise. He never slipped an antihistamine into her drink and then made her fall asleep so he could put on a TV show about big boots that all dads seemed to love. He didn't whinge and moan because he didn't want to watch the Princess Diaries again. He didn't complain that he never got to eat, you know, manly colored smarties. He just sat down and he just watched the movie with his daughter. Why? Humility. His wants were set aside. His selfish ambition, it didn't exist. 
The wants of his child were set above the wants that he had himself. The same selfless, patient, kind, gentle, loving humility is the foundation of the unity that we as the church here have been called to show one another and live in light of. That's the purpose of our humility. It's to bring unity to the church and bring encouragement to the church. Then secondly, we have the weight of Christ's humility. So the weight of Christ's humility. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. So as we start to open up these next few verses, ask yourself, what does it mean that Jesus humbled himself? Okay, so ask yourself, what does it mean that Jesus humbled himself? Does it mean that he just didn't talk about himself much? Does it mean that he was forever letting his disciples decide things and he was just this really friendly guy who never really spoke out about really anything? Keep that question sort of rattling around in between your ears and and we'll ask it near the end. In light of everything that we've thought about so far in this series of Philippians and everything that we'll think about as we continue through the book at CE, from Paul writing his letter in prison to the start of chapter 1 whenever we thought about the love of Christ that goes with us everywhere in everything, to the gospel and God's glory prevailing through all of the trials and suffering and circumstances that we'll face, to knowing that life now with Jesus is good but life to come after death is better to the encouragement of the believers of other believers in your faith in light of all of this and more that we'll see throughout the book remember this one thing jesus christ the eternal son of god the perfect and blameless one he left behind the riches of heaven along with his status as the eternal son he stepped down from god the father's right hand for what reason why To become a servant. To live a life of obeying his master, God the Father. Faithfully to the point of death. To break the eternal relationship that he had with God in heaven. To become man. To become like us. To walk the road that you and I walk. To feel the joy that we feel. To know the pain that we feel. To feel the love that we have. To feel the temptations that grip our hearts. To feel the love that we show each other. To know the weight of sin. To not just feel the guilt that you or I would know whenever we commit high treason against an almighty God, but to feel all of the shame and to feel all of the guilt of all of God's people that have ever, had ever, and will ever be committed and to feel it all at once. To die For us to put our hope and trust in him. For us by the work of the Holy Spirit to humble ourselves and plead with the God of the universe for a mercy that he is only too happy to show us. Why all this? To later be exalted. And then for us, those that are in Christ, those that have put their faith in him, to be exalted with him. That's the gain. 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name, the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. To be exalted, not just by rising three days after he was killed and set back into living as a human. But so highly exalted above all things. Above everything. Everything past, everything present, and everything future. To be given the praise and honour and glory that he alone deserves. When every knee will bow. And when every tongue will confess. That he, that Jesus Christ, the one who defeated death and sin. That he is Lord. Revelation 5 tells us. That there's going to be an uncountable number of people. Who will cry out in praise whenever that happens. It says, worthy is the lamb who will say, who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. For us to be heirs with Christ, inheriting a new heaven and a new earth, living in a perfect, unbroken relationship with the God who saved us. To be seated back at the Father's right hand in the riches of his glory and his majesty. To be speaking on behalf of those whose sin he took as his own. We as Christians, we aren't being asked to do anything that Jesus himself didn't have to do while he was on earth. The only problem is, you or I can't do it. We can't do it. We can't live this perfectly righteous, perfectly humble life, selflessly, selflessly submitting to the will of God the Father and obeying his laws. We needed somebody to do that for us. Jesus did that for us. He had every right to come to earth and live a nice life and then just die in his sleep as an old man. But what did he do? He came and he lived a perfectly righteous life, obeying every law that we have broke. He humbled himself, submitting to the Father's will. Luke chapter 2, verse 42. Before Jesus is arrested to be murdered, knowing what's about to happen, knowing the pain and suffering that he's about to go through, he prays, he says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus lived the perfect, humble life. He's the only one who could take the sacrifice that we deserve. So what does it mean that Jesus humbled himself? He came from the highest heights. And he came down to the lowest depths. He set aside his status, he set aside his glory, his riches, and he became man. He took on flesh to make a way for sinners like you and like me to come to know the Father. To have Christ's righteousness that he deserves placed on us that we do not deserve and that we will never deserve. 
But it's only by grace and mercy that this ever happens. When we see the extent of the humility that Jesus showed, just to bring us sinners, people that offend him, people that wrong him, just to bring us into a relationship with him, it can't not affect how we live every day. To live is not David and to die is gain. To live is not David and then and Christ and to die is gain. To live is not mostly Christ, a little bit of David. And then when, that's kind of when it suits, and then to die is gain. To live is Christ alone and to die is gain. I don't commend it. You don't commend it. When we consider the sin-stained status that we have under a holy God, it should cause us to fall off our high horse in worship of who he is, not somehow give us bragging rights. Because of Jesus' humility, his righteousness is yours. But only if you put your trust in him. So what's the takeaway? From what Paul's saying here. To live is Christ. We need to live a life of humility and reflect the grace of Jesus. But this is only possible through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And all this to keep unity in the church. This life is an encouragement. It's a blessing to those around us. And it's something that we as a church, we can rejoice in. To die is gain. Because of Christ's ultimate humiliation, leaving glory, submitting to God in obedience, in everything, to the point of death, in our place. It means that after this life, we're going to something better. We're going to live with our God in an unbroken, perfect, sin-free relationship. We're going to live in the very way and the very place that each of us was made to. A life of humbly serving and worshipping the King in heaven for all of eternity. Let's pray to finish. Lord, we're sorry for the times that we put our own pride and glory above giving you the glory that you deserve. We pray that by your spirit you would work in each of our hearts to to make us humble. The times that we want to put our own agenda first, that you would point us to Christ. Point us to that love and that that love would sit deep within us and, and change us from the inside out, Lord. Pray that your word would sit with us, that we'd think about it, that it wouldn't just leave our heads as soon as we leave this place tonight. And that you would continue to work in us all to the glory of your name. We ask this through Jesus.